Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known aspects of Indian culture, cross-cultural life, and traveling off the beaten path. Hey there. Thank you so much for signing on to another episode of Invisible India. Today is a super fun episode. We invited our listeners on social media to comment on various social media platforms about the top misconceptions about India. This could be anything that they've heard, things that they've sensed from others, or things that they have been asked. So we are going to go and dive into those questions. I've selected some of the top questions and group them together by category so that we can run through them. This is going to be so fun. I had selected questions from Caitlin in Ottawa, Canada, Jessica in Washington, D.C., U.S., Jill in Pune, India, Stephen in Mexico, Jason in St. Louis, USA, Elin in Norway, and Sibyl in India. There is a ton there. The observations and the questions were so insightful that I think some of you should be running this podcast. So let's get into it. If you listen no further, India is all about diversity, diversity, diversity. If you're going to understand India, this is it. If I say it a thousand times, we ha- I haven't said it enough. This is one of the things that Abhishek and I always mention whenever we're talking about India to a group or in a circle of friends or anytime people ask us a question. Diversity, diversity, diversity. Any of the misconceptions that you may hear are things that are true somewhere in India. This might be a very small percentage of people, or it might be a large percentage of people. But most of the misconceptions are things that are true somewhere, but certainly not everywhere. India has been called a subcontinent for this reason of diversity. The variety of people, languages, and cultures here in India are too broad to be categorized as one country. In addition, the making of the nation of India as we know it today only occurred in 1947. And before that, Pakistan and Bangladesh were also part of India. I wouldn't be surprised if India splits a few more times in my lifetime, although that would be unfortunate in my personal view. Did you know that Afghanistan was also a part of India until the late 1800s? We are talking about huge masses of different people, different languages, different cultures that are all categorized as Indians. So without being too comprehensive about the history of India, the point is there is a huge amount of variety in India. So Going on to the first set of questions or observations, a lot of them had to do with this exact point, the sameness or the uniformity of India. So some people had questions of uh, that all of India is the same, that 
that don't Indians speak Hindi and practice Hinduism? Uh, no. In fact, Hindi is one of the national languages, although that it is a bit controversial because people in Tamil Nadu also are wanting to promote and preserve the Tamil language as one of the main languages of India. And I understand that Tamil is one of the most ancient languages in the world. So Hindi is definitely widely spoken in India. For many people, it's a, a second or third language, but it is certainly not the only language. I like what Wikipedia says online when you ask, how many official languages are there in India? It says at least 24. It's a bit hard to classify because some languages are are similar to other languages and it's hard to kind of separate them from each other because they've evolved naturally and over thousands and thousands of years. There are also thousands of dialects and some of them aren't even necessarily classified or officially recognized. So the linguistic makeup of India is really complicated. Do a lot of people speak Hindi? Yep. Yep. Does everyone speak Hindi? No. Uh, another question is that, oh, the food, the North Indian food is the only kind of Indian food. You know, roti, naan, biryani. Biryani is actually not even a historically an Indian food. It came from Persia. But anyway, this uniformity of food that all Indians eat curry, these are not necessarily true. Yeah, you can find find them in different places, but different communities eat different things. Depends on your religious practices or even just your cultural background, your geographic setting. Some people on the coasts or in the mountains are going to eat different things than people in the desert. That's just something to keep in mind. Let's move to the second set of questions that all have to do with sociology. One of the observations or about misconceptions was that no one speaks English in India. I think this is really a sad one (laughs) to think about if someone really thinks that because India now claims to be the world's second largest English-speaking country in the world. The most reliable estimate of fluent English speakers is 10% of the population, which is still 125 million people. India is only second to the United States as far as the number of fluent English speakers in the world. There are a lot of people in India that don't speak English. There are a lot of people in India that speak decent English or some many that speak broken English or many that understand but maybe they can't respond. But that doesn't mean that nobody speaks English. That's kind of a very outdated way of thinking. One of the things I might add is that just because if someone speaks in a different accent than an accent that you're, you're used to hearing doesn't mean that they don't know the language. In fact, everyone has an accent. Americans have American accents. Australians have Australian accents. Indians have Indian accents. It's not like just because someone speaks English in a different way that you do that they're the one with an accent and you don't have an accent. So that's just a little soapbox that I'm going to step off of now. Second sociological misconception. India is poor. Yes and no. India does have a large portion of poor people. Some estimates say between 200 and 300 million people. But that number is decreasing all the time. As more people are getting opportunities to be educated, as the economy is growing, 
people are pulling themselves out of poverty. There are definitely issues of poverty. There are definitely issues of people suffering that don't need to suffer. But India also has some of the richest people in the world just swimming in money. One of the most confusing or or baffling things, I think especially to a Western mind, is when you come here, you see it all in front of you. There's not like one town where all the rich people live and then one area where all the poor people live. Everything's kind of piled on top of each other. And you can't separate out the slums from the high-rises, the the Bentleys from the cycle rickshaws. And so sometimes we tend, at least as a Westerner, to look at the things that are the most different. And we see, and those things stick out to us when we see a poor person begging or someone with polio walking down the street. So I think we need to do a better job of just seeing all of the elements around us and realizing that India includes all of these things. (laughs) A funny one that Uh, Jessica from D.C. mentioned, you know, some people had thought that India had no modern luxuries like A.C. or shopping malls. That's definitely not true. There are shopping malls. There definitely are A.C.s. And the prevalence of air conditioning has increased a lot in the last 10 years. Where we live, there are a lot of people that live without air conditioning. But there there are a lot of people that don't go to the malls, that don't shop at the malls, that can't afford modern modern luxuries but that doesn't mean that it's not available entirely and honestly within the last two or three years amazon india has changed the country in crazy and incredible ways you can get almost anything you need you can get everything you need even without amazon let me just say that but you can get pretty much almost anything that you want on amazon it doesn't mean that you can get it in all of the rural areas but you can get a lot of stuff, which doesn't necessarily make your life better, but <laughs> just saying you can get if you want. Moving to the next group of questions, safety. Several people commented on um, the misconception that India is not safe for women. India is, is definitely different in the way that Western countries are as far as the way we, we view women. You know, India had a female prime minister more than 30 years ago, and the United States still hasn't had a female leader. However, there are a lot of human rights violations that take place, especially against women in India, which have been really uh, outlawed in Western countries for a long time. So that's there. Just comment about it not being a safe place to visit. I think there's a lot of outcry against some of the things that have happened Um, particularly with sexual assault and different things against women in India. I would encourage you to listen to our episode number 15 on gender inequality, where we talk extensively about this topic. Some people will blame women and say that we need to monitor how we dress or who you're with or how you act to remain safe. And I'm not one to shame women at all. But I do believe that cultural sensitivity is really important. So go listen to episode 15. I'll put the link in the show notes to this episode, and you can hear more about that. Next range of misconceptions is caste. So caste is complex and deeply rooted. It is different than class, 
Some people say that caste is more of like a people group classification. And with 1.3 billion people, I don't blame Indians for wanting to hold on to a way that classifies people from each other. In my personal opinion, I don't think that there's a problem in classifying people by language, culture, state, or societal roles that you have fulfilled for hundreds of, or maybe even thousands of years. But I do think in modern India, we need these to be fluid. I think that people should have the choice to become upwardly mobile. Discrimination on the basis of caste has been illegal in India for a long time, but that's pretty much impossible to legislate. To caste is basically a way to separate people. And that can be a good thing, and that can be a bad thing. To understand more about caste, I actually recommend the Seen and the Unseen podcast by Amit Varma. And I'll put the link in the notes. He does justice to caste more than I can even attempt to do. So it's in some of his earlier episodes. If you're not super well-versed on Indian culture, Definitely listen to some of his earlier episodes before you listen to the later ones because he gets more and more specific uh, as he goes along in his episodes. So check out the Seen and the Unseen podcast. Here's another one. Going along with cast is religion. Another one that came up as a misconception that listeners had written in about was that, oh, in India, everyone is Hindu. Well, most logical people can figure that figure out pretty quickly that that is not true. In fact, 20% of India's population is Muslim. And think about it. That 20% of the Muslim population could be the third largest Muslim country in the world if it was on its own after Indonesia and Pakistan. So that's pretty mind-blowing that only 20% of the population of India is actually the third largest group of Muslim people in the world. Incredible. Of course, besides Hindus, there are millions of Christians, Sikhs, Parsis, Jains, Buddhists, and India was home to many of the major world religions, which is something that India should be and is very proud of. Another funny one is that, um, oh, all people believe that they will be reincarnated into animals and all Indians worship cows. Um, <laughs> this is something that you'll read in some of the guidebooks, but it's not necessarily true. Do some Hindu people believe that? Yeah. Do all Hindu people believe that? No. And this is actually a great segue into what actually Hinduism is and what it isn't. Some people say that Hinduism is not even a religion. It is a lifestyle, a sense of belonging to a community. Hinduism doesn't meet any of the qualifications of an organized religion. You don't have to do anything to be a Hindu. It doesn't require any belief or certain rituals. There are many Hinduisms. Let me read an excerpt from Swami Dayanand Bharti's book, Understanding Hinduism, to shed a little light on the topic. Hinduism is a subject which evades everyone's full comprehension, even the professing Hindu. Hinduism is a parliament of religions. It is a dharam 
not a religion, or and as we mispronounce it in Western countries, dharma. <laughs> There's no a, uh, and it's an aspirated dha, not dharma. The word dharam, to get more into the meaning, has been called a way of life or belonging to a people group. To go further, the study of Hinduism has really become more complicated by the invention of Hinduism by non-Hindus. Hindu phenomena have, of course, always existed in what is known of Indian history. Yet, Hinduism can truly be deemed a non-Hindu invention, at least the very, at least in the very sense that the term Hinduism was never introduced until its introduction by outsiders and popularized by Western Indologists. End quote. So really understanding Hinduism is something super complex, but also super simple if you are open to understanding that it's very, very broad, it's multifaceted, it's super diverse. And one thing I love to say is if you ask 10 different Hindu people what they believe or what their lifestyle looks like and what it means to be a Hindu, you'll get 10 different answers. Another great question that was brought up is that religious persecution has something to do with religious beliefs. This is a very astute observation. In fact, a lot of the religious persecution in the world, <laughs> particularly in India, if we're talking about that, has to do with your cultural background, not necessarily what you believe or your dogma, but the kind of community you're a part of. A lot of times people persecute each other because they feel threatened by their existence, not because of what they believe. I think if we fully understood why religious persecution happened, we would be able to stop it. There's a large question mark there. It's not so simple as what you believe or what you don't believe. So let's move on to the next section, marriage. One misconception is that all Indians have arranged marriages. So certainly all Indians don't have arranged marriages, but some of the recent data shows that 75% of Indians do go for arranged marriages. Even 25% of Indians that don't go for arranged marriage, that's still a huge number. Another misconception that was brought up is that all Indian weddings look the same, people wear red, they're five days long with lots of dancing and thousands of guests. Yeah, in many parts of India, that's how it's done. But in many parts of India, that is not how it's done. So it really depends on religious, cultural background. There are many, many different ways that Indian weddings take place. If you look at a Christian wedding or at a conservative Muslim wedding, or you'll see all different kinds of traditions. And if you look at tribal people in northeastern part of India, mountainous regions, or in South India, there are so many different kinds of traditions, it's mind-blowing. The last couple of fun misconceptions, <laughs> which were brought up as part of the social media challenge to send in misconceptions, one misconception here. Indians throw colored powder at each other on the streets on a daily basis. <laughs> so despite the Western lust for color runs and Coldplay music videos with Beyonce, 
sadly, this doesn't happen every day. Holi is the festival of colors when people throw powder on each other. And it doesn't even happen in all parts of India, by the way. Mostly northern India in the plains. Holi's only one day a year. Okay, maybe three or four days if you stretch it out when the teenagers and kids are throwing water balloons off the roof at people. But it doesn't happen all the time. It's once a year, and it is a fun day. Another fun one. There's always funny things about animals that are brought up and misconceptions. So one misconception that was submitted is that one woman had been asked if she she rode elephants to school <laughs> growing up. And certainly, like I said in the beginning, this is true somewhere in India. I mean, that would have to be a lot of elephants to take every child to school. You know, millions and millions of children to school. I wonder how many kids would fit on an elephant. Usually, the way that most people go to school is by van, by bus, by auto rickshaw, or by motorcycle or car if their parents drop them off. That concludes our episode And as I said in the beginning, it's really all about diversity. India is crazy diverse. And all of the things that we've said here are true somewhere in India, but certainly not everywhere. Keep an eye on our social media pages. Keep sending us comments and we'll keep featuring them on the show and asking them in our upcoming episodes. Any questions that you have for us or any topics you want us to cover, please send them in to us. And if you like the Invisible India podcast, give us a review or comment on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen, and it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and I hope you have a good one wherever you are in the world. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.